0: with me once again tonight to the Gospel of Matthew, where we pick up our studies this evening, beginning in chapter 19 and then moving into chapter 20 as well. So turn to Matthew 19 with me now. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help me now to preach it uh, accurately, clearly, powerfully. God, speak to us from the passage that's before us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we last left Jesus, he had been recently engaged in conversation with a rich young man about all important spiritual concerns. And Jesus, knowing that this young man had made an idol of his property, Jesus urged him in verse 21, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come Follow me. Part with your earthly treasure, young man, and you will have heavenly treasure. And come follow me. Now the point is not that this man could somehow earn treasure in heaven by doing good deeds, by selling his possession, possessions and giving to the poor. No, the reality is that if he would follow Jesus, if he would come to faith in Jesus, Jesus would give him treasure in heaven. For such treasure Jesus gives to all who follow him in faith, right? And so when Jesus says, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me, the point is not that this man can earn the treasure by selling his stuff and practicing charity. The point, rather, is that if letting go of his earthly treasure, if being separated from his idol is what would free this man's heart up to follow Jesus well then that would actually be a very small price to pay because in following Jesus he'd be given treasure in heaven. This young young man's wealth was his idol and he needed to let go of it. Not because doing so would earn heaven, for it wouldn't. And nor because Jesus requires us to clean ourselves up before we are able to come to him, before he will accept our coming to him. Jesus doesn't, require that rather this young man had to let go of his idol because this particular idol was so dear to him that unless he let it go he himself wouldn't have the heart to heed Jesus invitation to come Jesus invites us to come as sinners but this man won't come to Jesus with this particular idol still in his hand he won't come with his heart still wrapped around this earthly treasure for reasons of his own heart He needs to let go of it. And Jesus is telling him in verse 21, that's a small price to pay. Letting go of your possessions is a small price for you to pay because even though you will give up your earthly treasure, you will not be without treasure. You will have treasure in heaven. If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. It's a small price to pay if heaven and its treasures await you when you follow Jesus. But now these words of Jesus in verse 21 about selling possessions and having treasure in heaven cause a question to sprout down in verse 27 in the fertile mind of Peter. Then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will will there be for us? We have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us, Peter asks. In other words, Jesus, are we, your disciples, who have sacrificed so much are we who have left our jobs and our homes in order to follow you are we going to have treasure too now i think that peter's speaking here not about their following jesus in faith which of course they had done but i think he's asking rather here about their following jesus in ministry He's asking, I believe, about their parting with homes and families and jobs in order to travel with Jesus, in order to serve with Jesus, in order to do ministry with Jesus. The rich young man needed to part with his possessions in order to follow Jesus in faith. But I believe Peter is thinking here about the way he and his fellow disciples who have come to faith have parted with their possessions in order to follow Jesus in ministry. Even. I believe he, he's using the word followed here to refer to how he and his companions literally followed Jesus from place to place during this season of ministry. And he asks in verse 27 Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Will we have treasure too? And Jesus' answer stretches not just to the end of the chapter, but actually beyond the chapter break, all the way down to chapter 20, verse 16. And Lord willing, we will think about the portion of Jesus' answer that lies in chapter 20 a little while later. But let's just begin now by looking at the part of his answer that lies here at the end of chapter 19. Then Peter said to him, "'Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us?' And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first... Will be last, and the last first. So, what does Jesus answer? How does he reply to Peter's question? What about us? Will there be treasure for us? Well, Jesus' answer is threefold. First, he speaks of treasure for the 12 disciples in verse 28, and then he speaks of treasure for everyone who sacrifices for him in verse 29. And then he speaks beginning in verse 30 and moving forward into chapter 20 of treasure for even the last among his people. And let's think each of those out now. First, Jesus speaks in verse 28 of treasure for the 12 disciples. We have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Jesus' answered, truly, I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So very straightforwardly, Jesus speaks, first of all here, of a particular blessing that he's preparing for the twelve, for his apostles in the regeneration, when he comes to make all things new, in other words, when he creates the new earth. Now, of course, these men will be in that new earth and they will receive many, many treasures there simply because by God's grace, they follow Jesus in faith. They believed on him as Lord and Savior. They'll have many blessings and they'll be in the new earth based on their simple faith. But then there will be this particular treasure of sitting upon these thrones and of judging the twelve tribes of Israel that will be theirs in connection with their unique role as apostles, in connection with their unique role in the building of Christ's church. Treasure that correlates to their role. Now, even the role that these men played in the building of Christ's church was a role that was given to them by God's grace. You did not choose me, Jesus would say to them on another occasion, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. And it wasn't just the choosing and appointing that were gifts of God's grace, but also the actual bearing of the fruit. For we may plant and water, and the apostles may plant and water, 1 Corinthians 3, but God causes the growth. And so, they're becoming apostles and they're performing their marvelous ministry as apostles it wasn't something these men did on their own. These things were given to them by our gracious God. And yet, here we see that God, in His grace, not only gave them this apostolic ministry, but He is also going to give them this particular new earth treasure in verse 28 commensurate with their ministry. Truly I say to you that you who have followed me, meaning the twelve, in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So that's the first part of Jesus' answer to Peter's question. Very simply, he speaks of treasure for the twelve disciples. But then in verse 29, he also speaks of treasure for everyone who sacrifices for him. Treasure for everyone who sacrifices for him. We have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or farms, for my name's sake, will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now that's good news, isn't it? And it's along similar lines to what Jesus told the rich man up in verse 21. If you sacrifice worldly treasures for me, all is not lost, Because the treasures of this life, even the treasures of prized relationships here in verse 29, are not the only treasures there are. And indeed, they are not the most bountiful treasures there are. Just the normal blessings of common grace. Because if you follow me, if you belong to me, if your faith is in me, Jesus is saying, then you will have treasure in my kingdom. And indeed, the treasures of my kingdom are, quote, many times as much as what you give up in this world. That's reason not to be afraid, isn't it? To sacrifice for the sake of Christ's kingdom. It's reason not to be afraid to leave home and family and job, to carry the gospel like the disciples of old to other places and other realms because everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or, or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. And perhaps God will call someone in this room to leave Cincinnati, to leave mother or father or so on and go take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And verse 29 should encourage you and though I think that what Jesus has specifically in mind here is leaving these temporal treasures behind to go like the disciples on gospel mission, I think surely the principle of verse 29 also applies. For instance, if you sacrifice a house or a farm or some other physical treasure, not by way of leaving it to go to the mission field, but by way of sacrificing sacrificing some such financial blessing so that others can go or so that the gospel can be served in some other way by your generosity. This verse applies to that kind of leaving things behind too when we don't physically move away but when we give things up for the sake of the kingdom. Everyone who has left houses or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much someday in glory is probably where those rewards usually come. And I think we can also apply verse 29 not only to leaving family to go and proclaim the gospel like the apostles did, but also to the possibility of being alienated by your family because of your allegiance to Christ. This verse speaks of leaving family And sometimes the way you leave your family is to go to some other place to share the gospel, but sometimes it's because your family doesn't really want you anymore because you're a Christian. That will sometimes happen, maybe more so in other cultures than in our own, but it could happen to us, or it could happen that maybe we don't totally lose our families, maybe we're not disowned by them, but that we lose them in the sense that Things are never the same between us because they don't accept our allegiance to Jesus. And if that's the case for us, this verse can be comforting. I'm not saying, and Jesus isn't either, that those losses are not painful, nor that they're not real, but I believe this verse does apply to this kind of leaving as well, not to our leaving our family behind because we think now that we're Christians, we're better than them. No, no, we shouldn't think that. But sometimes we are forced sort of to leave our families in essence, or to at least to keep them or, or for them to sort of leave us at arm's length because they won't any longer welcome us. Everyone who has left houses or brothers Or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much. And this reference to many times as much in these family things is a reference to the family of God. If you follow Jesus in faith, you will have a family. You may lose your family, but you will not be without a family if you follow Jesus. And that can ameliorate the pain of losing your own family. And in the case of going on mission and giving for the sake of the gospel, the fact that we still have a family and that we have blessings and treasures in the kingdom of God can motivate our leaving our temporal blessings or even our families behind when God calls. So then Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, before we move to our final heading, I want to pose the question of whether Jesus is speaking here in verse 29 about rewards for our kingdom efforts or whether he's referring here in this verse simply to the sorts of blessings that belong to all believers. And when we get to chapter 20, hopefully it will be clear why we need to spend some time on that question. Is Jesus speaking here in chapter 19, verse 29, about rewards that we obtain for our kingdom efforts, for our service to the king? Or is he referring here in this verse simply to the sorts of blessings that belong to all believers? It may appear at first glance that Jesus is saying in verse 29, Believer, if you sacrifice for me, then I will particularly reward you for that sacrifice in these specific ways. And that may be what he is getting at here. The Bible does teach the principle of God rewarding us for our service to him, without question. And maybe that's what Jesus has in mind here. It's not that we get into the kingdom or receive its universal treasures as a reward for how we serve God, that would be salvation by works. But it is true that having been granted eternal life and many treasures in Christ's kingdom simply by grace through faith, it is yet true that believers can also garner specific rewards bestowed for the working out of their faith in loving service to the King. Now, again, even in that scenario, God is the one who works in us, even when we are doing those acts of service that he rewards. So it's still all of grace. But there are rewards for the believer handed out by God based upon our service to him. But the question is, is that what Jesus is speaking about here in verse 29? Is Jesus referring here to the rewards that we may gain by making sacrifices for his sake? Or is it possible that Jesus is referring here to what I called earlier the universal treasures of the kingdom by which I mean the treasures which all believers possess? Is it possible in other words that he's not saying if you sacrifice for me I'll give you the treasures of verse 29 but rather that he's saying if you belong to me you already possess the treasures of verse 29, and those treasures in your possession will motivate you to sacrifice for me and comfort me when you do. Let me ask that again, or pose that again. It's possible that Jesus is not saying, if you sacrifice for me, I'll give you the treasures of verse 29, but that he's rather saying, if you belong to me, you already have these treasures, and they should motivate you to sacrifice for me and comfort me when you do because you already possess great riches. I think it's possible that Jesus means the latter and In fact, I think it's quite likely, actually, that that's what he means. I think it's quite likely that he's speaking in verse 29, not of specific rewards for our sacrifice to him, but of the universal blessings of the kingdom, the treasures that all of us possess in Christ, and that he's saying to his disciples, in effect, since my people will surely have these treasures, they can go on sacrificing, knowing that whatever treasures they give up, are not all the treasures that they have. And I think that's what Jesus may be getting at. I'm not positive on that, but I think that that's what he may be getting at. And I think it for three different reasons. One is that this specific treasure of Christian family that he mentions in verse 29 is the kind of thing that belongs to all believers. We all in Christ, have a whole host of brothers, sisters, and mothers, do we not? And we have that whether we've had to leave our earthly families or not. Some of you have very good relationships with your earthly family. Some of you still live with your earthly family. Some of you live very near your earthly families, and yet you still have this Christian family, the family of God, as well, right? Because all Christians have that. It's not that some of us are not granted a family or more like some of us are granted a very small Christian family because we happen to live near our families and we didn't have to move away for kingdom purposes. No, every believer is part of this one grand family. And so I think that Jesus is speaking in verse 29 about a blessing that belongs to all Christians in the family. And if he's speaking that way about the blessing of Family, I think he's probably also speaking that way when he says that we'll receive houses and farms too. I don't think this particular blessing, this particular treasure of Christian family is a reward for our sacrifices, but rather it's a gift that is enjoyed by every believer that should motivate our sacrifices. If I have a family in Christ, then it's not quite as bad as it might seem to be if I lose my earthly family. That's one reason why I think that Jesus may be speaking here about blessings that we already possess. But then I also think that he's speaking about blessings that belong to all believers because of how he says that the people in verse 29 who've left all these things... They won't just have families and houses and farms, but he also says they'll have eternal life. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, we know that eternal life is not gained as a reward for sacrificing for Jesus, right? We know that eternal life is not given to us as a reward for our works, not even the sacrificial works that Jesus describes in verse 29. And so if Jesus is saying that families, farms, and houses are rewards for our works, then this verse gets very complicated, trying to figure out how and why he transitions from speaking earlier in the verse about rewards for our labors to then speaking about a gift at the end of the verse that's received solely by faith. But if Jesus is not talking here about rewards for our labors, then what we have in the promise of eternal life here is simply another treasure that belongs to all of Christ's people. In other words, Jesus is acknowledging here that anyone who leaves houses and family and so on for his sake is someone who believes on him someone who is already a Christian, someone who is saved. And those people, those people who believe on him, those people who are saved, have these certain treasures, including eternal life itself, already guaranteed to them. And that motivates them to give up some of their earthly treasures. So I'm suggesting that verse 29 may not be a cause and effect statement. If you sacrifice for me, you'll receive the following rewards. I'm suggesting, rather, that it may well be a statement about what we already possess if we're in Christ, which should then motivate us to hold loosely to what we possess in terms of this world's treasures. Now, again, the Bible does teach the fact of rewards for our service to the king. But I don't think this verse is about those rewards I think it's listing treasures we already have that motivate us to be willing to give up earthly treasures. The idea is that our biological families, our homes, our businesses, even life itself in this world are not the only treasures we possess. I hope you know that. The things that you possess that are part and parcel of this life Only, or that can be part and parcel of this life only, are not all that you possess. And therefore, you ought to be able to let them go. So, verse 29 does speak, as I indicated with the heading that I gave to that second point, verse 29 does speak to those who sacrifice for Jesus, and it speaks to those who should. But it speaks to such people not by way of promising them rewards, but by way of motivating them with reminders of treasures they already possess. And so the heading for our second point still stands. Jesus is talking about treasures for those who sacrifice for him. But we understand that while the treasure is spoken of to those who sacrifice or who will, yet the treasure actually belongs not only to them, but to all believers. Now, I said that I interpret verse 29 the way I do, that these treasures are things that all Christians possess for three different reasons, and I've given you two of them, the universal nature of both the treasure of Christian family and the treasure of eternal life, which both belong to all believers. And then the third reason why I think Jesus is speaking in this way brings us to our third and final point, and it is sort of, thinking through what Jesus is doing on the way to that third and final point that will help us grasp the third and final point. And the third and final point actually, hopefully you'll see in retrospect, informs why I interpret verse 29 the way I do. And the final point comes from verse 30 down through verse 16 of chapter 20, and it's this. Treasure for even the last of Christ's people. So Jesus speaks here of treasure for the twelve disciples. He speaks of treasure for everyone who sacrifices for him. But he speaks now, at more length, of treasure for even the last of Christ's people, of his people. It's interesting that Jesus has just been holding out to those who make great sacrifices for his namesake, the promise of treasure. He's just been holding out that promise of treasure. And he's been talking to people who make sacrifices for him. And we've considered two reasons why the treasures in question actually belong to all believers. But even if we hadn't considered those two things, we'd still have to really pause and think here about what Jesus means in verse 30. He's just been holding out the promise of treasure... And he's been saying, telling this, uh, speaking about this treasure to people who sacrifice for him. But then he says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Many who are first will be last, and the last first. Now why does Jesus say that? Why does he follow up his words to those who sacrifice for him with this but in verse 30? with this reminder that many who are first will be last and the last first. I think he's reminding the disciples here that the treasures he has just spoken of in verse 29 aren't just for the heroes among his people. I think he's reminding his disciples here that the blessings of a Christian family and of blessing in heaven of houses and farms and so on, he's reminding them that many who are last when it comes to their personal sacrifices will still receive these first-rate treasures as members of Christ's kingdom. And the reason I think that is because he goes on to teach exactly that, it seems to me, in the parable in the beginning of chapter 20. Notice the connection between verse 30, and what follows in verses 1 through 16. Jesus says in verse 30, many who are first will be last, and the last first. And then he begins verse 1 with the word for, which lets you know that what he's about to say, the parable he's about to give, is an explanation of what he's just said in verse 30. If I say to you, I'm going to go to McAllister's for I really love their sweet tea. You understand that that word for signifies that I really love their sweet tea is the explanation for why I'm going, right? I'm going there for or because of the tea. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Many who are first will be last and the last first for. Here's the explanation for why I'm saying that. This is how the kingdom works in chapter 20. And just to be clear that the parable in verses 1 through 16 is an explanation of the fact that many who are first will be last and the last first, notice how Jesus concludes the parable as well, down in verse 16. So, the last shall be first and the first last. So he bookends this parable by telling us this parable is about the last being first and the first being last. It's an explanation of that concept. But what does the parable actually say? Well, listen to Jesus with me now, beginning in verse 30, and we'll read all the way down through verse 16 of chapter twenty. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth And the ninth hour, and did the same thing, and about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius, When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. Now what's the point here? The point is that the disciples who really have sacrificed a great deal, verse 27 who have left everything to follow Jesus. The point is that the disciples and those like them who make great sacrifices for the Lord must not be envious when they realize that many of the treasures of the kingdom are going to belong to other believers too, even though those other believers didn't work nearly as long or as hard as they did. Those who work hardest in the kingdom... Those who serve God the longest and who bear the burden and the scorching heat of the day should not be angry if God, in his generosity, grants the same eternal life and the same Christian family and the same access to houses and farms as to those whose kingdom labors were far less significant as he does to those who worked all day. Now, given the way Jesus unfolds the story in terms of the number of hours worked, he may be making particular reference here to how those who come into the kingdom later in life and who thus have much less time to serve are still granted many of the same blessings, the universal blessings, I called them, even in spite of their late arrival in the vineyard. But given that he's just been speaking in verse 29 about those who give things up for the kingdom, I think the principle of the parable probably also applies, irrespective of how, some, how long someone's been a believer, it probably also applies to the fact that those whose sacrifices for the kingdom are lesser, those who didn't bear as much of the burden, will still receive many of the same treasures as those who left houses, farms, and families. And the reason... Jesus tells us, is because God is generous. God is generous. And since God is generous, many, many of the blessings of the kingdom, and indeed the chiefest blessings of the kingdom, and in fact, being a member of the kingdom itself, these blessings are received by simple faith, and not by the working out of that faith in service. Yes, there are rewards for working our faith out in our labors, even surely for the sort of labors described in verse 29. And Jesus isn't denying that here, but he's just, I think, not talking about that here. I believe he's speaking in this parable in the same way he was speaking in verse 29 about the blessings that belong to us all if we're in Christ. And indeed, this parable is one of the reasons and really the foundational reason why I interpret him speaking that way up in verse 29. The fact of the matter is that many of the blessings of the kingdom will belong to us whether we serve Jesus for 70 years or whether we were saved on our deathbed, whether we left everything for the mission field or whether we serve God right here at home in much less sacrificial ways we'll still have the Christian family, we'll still have eternal life, we'll still have access to God's houses and farms in the new earth. Because so much of the treasure of the kingdom is not the treasure of reward, but is the free gift of God that comes with our salvation. And let us who serve long and hard, let us who do make great sacrifices, not be envious that that's the way that it is. Not be envious because our God is generous. Not be envious that someone who did far less than we might have done is someday basking in the same glorious heaven that we are. But rather, since so much treasure is guaranteed us, Since so much treasure is laid up for all of us who are in Christ, let us be motivated to make those great sacrifices in the service of the king. Because this life and its treasures and its comforts are not the only treasures and comforts the believer possesses, are they? Houses and farms and Christian family forever And the presence, the very presence of God himself await us if we belong to Christ. Father, let's pray that you'll take um, what we've done here and put your hand upon it for blessing. Make us grateful for the universal blessings of the kingdom that belong to all believers. Help us be motivated by them to remember that we have them and to not hold so tightly to the treasures of this life. And God, help us not to be envious because you're generous, but to be glad because if you gave us the wages we truly deserve, we would not be in your kingdom at all. Thank you for sending your son to pay our sin debt for us to absorb the wages of our sin that we may have the treasures of your kingdom. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.